0: Welcome to OK Video, the podcast about movies. This week, we are kicking off a new batch of episodes focusing on our favorite screen performer, Nicholas Cage. The most talented film actor alive today, Nicholas has made films since the 80s, and he's been spinning straw into gold for most of that time, earning the nickname Fimple Stilskin by <laughs> Fimple Stillskin by his most ardent supporters. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Rogers Video Store 613, and I'm joined, as always, by Ryan McCullough.
1: Hi, Ryan here. Uh, Nicolas Cage superfan, as I sit in my office at work. I look up at my Napoleon Nicolas Cage portrait that's uh, framed in my office, and multiple cards, from Nicolas Cage-themed cards, on my wall. Uh, yeah, very, very excited about this batch of movies. Um, with a, a long history of being a Nicolas Cage supporter, I don't even need to go into my background as, like, a video store clerk because just, it's Nicolas Cage, so. That's yeah, I just wish
0: there was, like, fake degrees or something behind you <laughs> right now, just like, oh, as you can see, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I guess I didn't really get into video store stuff much, but, uh, we're, we're former video store clerks, and we want to watch and rank movies. Uh, this one's gonna be a bit weird because we really just love this actor, and we haven't really formed a batch around a single performer before, but, uh. We talked, talked about we were it. Going to try out. This is not yeah. the
1: first like when, in pitching out seasons to each other. We talked about like Kurt Russell, um, other directors. Rick Moranis yeah. was a big one that we wanted to do, but then it just yeah. kind of came out like, you know, both in a, both of us af- share a huge affinity towards one actor, and we both like the other guys. Like we both love Rick Moranis and Kurt Russell, but it's like this is Nicholas Cage. Mm-hmm.
0: So. so I feel like our MVP segment might be impacted a bit by no, this, it's
1: second place. This whole season, like we're whole batch. basically
0: looking for runner-ups this time because yeah. Nick is the reason we're here. Who else contributed to the magic? Mm-hmm. So uh, this week we're looking at the '98 thriller, Snake Eyes. Uh, it's directed by Brian De Palma. It came out in August '98. Uh, I budget of only seventy three million, so they they did save some money there. I don't know. The wiki was really proud of their budget, and I don't know why because it didn't really do that well,
1: well. As, well. especially because like when you watch the movie, where did where did that seventy three million dollars go? Like it's a pretty that, like
0: that casino. They rented
1: like, a, a stadium. Like that's, but it could have got that done in a couple days. I don't All know. The extras,
0: there's like a couple
1: thousand of them. We'll, we'll talk scenes. about it. I, I have a yeah. I have this theory about where the money went and, and stuff. Uh
0: so it grows fifty five point six million uh domestic and forty eight point three international for hundred and three point nine million total. That's in US dollars, so I <laughs> converted that to hundred and fifty eight million Canadian, which sounds better. Yes. It's like hundred and fifty eight, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh but that's our our dollar wasn't worth very much in ninety eight. Well,
1: this is the first uh, big dud for Nicolas Cage and his slew that he just had, right? Like from like, like because of the, like right off of this Oscar, movie, those
0: those Oscar like those action films. Yeah, and like, like even City of Rock. Angels,
1: I think did pretty well.
0: I don't know, I can't tell you offhand how City of Angels did, uh, but yeah, The I mean over a hundred million, like, but with marketing and everything, I guess it was kind of a lackluster thing. This is also like Brian De Palma cashing in his like mission impossible chips yes a bit like his follow-up project to that uh
1: so so we'll, sorry we'll, just to just to clarify for the audience in case they're interested city of angels yeah. cost 55 million and made almost 200 so okay so
0: i would say that's a hit even with marketing so okay uh but hey before we get too far down the line with uh, snake eyes let's let's hear what snake eyes even is for sure uh, you here you got you got a summary for us i do
1: i do <clears throat> Rick Santoro is in for the night of his life. Nothing will prepare him for what's in store. It'll be a night filled with twists and turns of the camera. Rick, an Atlantic City cop, is at the big fight. He was invited by his best pal, Kevin Dunn. No, not that Kevin Dunn, though they are still friends. Rick is in for one wild night, filled with an assassination, a boxing match, a conspiracy, a new love interest... A hurricane masquerading as a tropical storm and a twist he won't see coming. But we will, because the movie will tell us before the halfway point. Snake Eyes.
0: Snake Eyes. Uh, yeah, uh, this movie establishes itself pretty well. Oh it's man! got a nice bunch of energy right at the front. I had to watch Centro twice because I basically passed out the first <laughs> yes. time I was watching to it. Your, and I did
1: the same thing because when you texted me, I was in the middle of watching it. And so I was like 30 minutes in and I was like, all right, I'll just stop and then we'll watch it next week. So, yeah, I also got to watch the intro sequence, which is it's parading around as a one take thing. But there are very well done cuts type of things around. But it's still a really slick scene as we follow uh, Ricky Santoro, Nick Cage through this auditorium casino arena, talking to people, being wild and like fun and having a night of his life type of thing.
0: And there's tons of like camera and camera stuff like uh, monitors with characters on it and then like pan over and then there's the actual person being filmed and then back and oh, Ricky's on a TV monitor like bothering his buddy Kevin Dunn, the actor. And yes, then, not the character. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, then uh, following him inside and whatever, like it's playing around with a lot of uh, surveillance cameras and stuff to mm-hmm. establish its its basic notion. Uh, but yeah, a lot of, you know. Five, six minute takes yes. and some creative uh, Lots of movement. shots right up front.
1: Yeah. Lots of movements, like moving from different levels, even. Like, there's this great shot as it goes down an escalator and turns around a corner to, to like, like it's actually a pretty well done shot type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, to hide it, yeah. <laughs> even Roger Ebert, who gave this movie one star out of oh, four. Oh, man. This is the only good thing he had to say about it. He's like sitting there. I was like, he's like that opening scene. I was sitting there. I was ready to love this movie. And then it was just downhill from that opening scene. Oh, okay. No, I don't fully Uh, agree with him. I, I have a fun time watching this movie.
0: Yeah. I went into this movie with some like really foggy memories of the first time I saw it. But like, I basically only remembered one thing and you mentioned it in your summary of like the twist. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, this movie doesn't even consider this a twist either. So past this point in the movie, I don't know what's going to happen. But here's like, the thing. Like, I was able to just watch it again. Okay, you so know? you
1: kind of, like, have this, like, the second and third act of this film you got to see again for the, almost like, for the first time. I was time. worried that would
0: be hanging over the whole movie until the third act, and it's, like, the only thing I know that this movie's going to play. Gotcha. But then they're like, no, you know what? That's boring. Here, Here's who the bad guy is. And now we know there's, like, a malicious agent in this situation, too, and they can play around with that. Yes. Which I guess is not mysterious, but it kind of so th- – it let me just kind of get into the story again. So this movie so didn't happy.
1: This movie didn't do well, and it wasn't really revered. And the biggest criticism was, like, this revealing of your hand when – because I agree with you, Nathan. Like, I didn't really remember what came up in the third, second and third act. I couldn't remember what Gina – Gina Car- Carano's cr- character uh, Carla does Carla Gugino. Carla yeah. Gugino, cheese, Marvy. Yeah, um, Carla Gugino's like character does what? What happens with her, and all like the, how everything outplays? I remember the final act, like the final five ten minutes of the movie. That's the one thing I did remember. But uh, people point out that like this is supposed to be like a murder mystery thing. And because yeah. we have a we have a protagonist who he doesn't figure it out until the tw- third act twist, but it, all of the air gets pulled out of the room because we figure it out as an audience within the like in the thirty forty minute well, mark type of thing.
0: Like we probably figure it out by like the fifteen minute mark, but sure. the movie tells you at the thirty five minute yes mark. for it's 100%, just like hundred percent hey. Here's exactly what's up with this guy. But then you like, have to okay. run
1: around and wait for Nick Cage to catch up with it as well, and you're kind right. of like what I don't know, like I sit here and wonder would this movie have been better, more like more suspenseful because it's trying to go for suspense in some scenes mm-hmm. if we didn't know that Gary Sinise was the bad guy and and, right. and I, it was more I of a mystery. I feel like
0: they're they're more so playing like, "Oh, is he going to be able like is Ricky going to do the right thing?" Yes. Is is uh, he going to be able to get to her and help her in time? Or will Commander Kevin Dunn catch her first or whatever? Played by,
1: okay, to be fair, at this time, like at this yeah. point, I think they're just coming off of Ransom. So, like, yeah. I, so I don't... Like
0: Gary Sinise's evil is, yeah. like, a thing you should half expect. That movie plays at third act, right? Yes. Like, as I That's recall vaguely from this Ron Howard thriller I saw 20 years ago. Which was, like
1: like, a huge thing when it came out. Yeah. Like, that movie was a marketing... Oh, that movie did well? Yeah, yeah. okay. But it, like, did well. It was a marketing thing. Like, people were anticipating it. Um, Yeah, and then it was, like, that third act reveal. I remember my aunt went and saw it, and she told my parents, like, I'm not going to tell you that twist, but it was crazy. And I was nah. like, "Oh, okay," but it is like, like Lieutenant yeah. Dan is not on the level. <laughs> he is not on the level. To be fair, like, I love that guy, and yeah, you eat, wait, okay? All right, You're I'm not, not saying... saying that.
0: I'm <laughs> saying he's trading off of like, "Hey, I'm just hanging out with my buddy Tom Hanks." Yeah. Like people I was like Harrison. Like, I,
1: I didn't. I was confused because you have been an ardent critic of Forrest Gump over the years, right?
0: No, no, I'm am speaking a character. Okay, my aunt's my aunt, like my aunt really... probably
1: was actually yeah. a big or film. or
0: you know he's that hard-working astronaut in apollo 13 from last summer or whatever and now he's like a villain
1: so which one sorry guy. he's the one that okay so kevin bacon goes be, even though he's sick or kevin bacon no, no, stays no, kevin behind bacon goes
0: because they're they're predicting uh gary sinise will get ken mattingly will get sick but it's um, actually bill, bill paxton mission. that gets sick
1: uh bill paxton does
0: puke in zero
1: g or whatever but it's Sorry, not a big who's deal. the they don't think i'm saying don't they get the blood vials mixed up and that's the whole point of apollo 13 is somebody's blood says and they actually get sick in space like that's the whole plot point is like that's why gary sinise uh, actually like, isn't
0: getting sick is it the measles or something it's like yes. and ken mattingly never got the measles by the way like they end with that and anyway, yeah about it. i totally thought it was kevin movie. bacon
1: got the measles in space I don't
0: think anybody gets the measles in space. Like the thing that goes wrong is the mixing the oxygen tanks and whatever. But that's another movie. Point is Gary Sinise playing a villain that for a while was kind of surprising. I went into this with kind of like a Sean Bean type thing. Like it's like it's Gary Sinise. So he's not going to be
1: trustworthy. Well, yeah, because we also have Reindeer Games as a movie that comes out quickly after this as well. He's the bad guy in Reindeer Games. Whoa. The John Frankenheimer classic.
0: Awesome. (laughs) I, I didn't know that about Reindeer Games, but I believe you. Uh, yeah, it kind of became like, no, that's the thing. Gary Sinise plays a lot is the shifty guy. Yeah. So. So, okay. okay so then I what... guess we can touch on this trivia note now because it's, it's going it, to, like, I verified that this was in fact true, not just IMDb nonsense. Sure. Will Smith was maybe going to play this character.
1: Yeah, which that was a fascinating point. movie.
0: Yeah. Like, it would be like, oh, that's purposely against type. Brian De Palma compares it to Henry Fonda's villainy in Once Upon a Time in the West. It's like, can you get a really likable guy to be sinister
1: Yeah, kind of thing? But would you believe it to be, like, at that point, Will Smith was, like, mid-20s? Yeah. Like, he was playing mid-20s. Nick Cage is 35 in the movie. He's actually, like, 34 in real life when he filmed this movie.
0: Okay. So I was like,
1: oh, that's cool. I like that. Um, Right. And Gina Carino was... uh, G Carlo oh, yeah. Gugino, it's <laughs> yeah. it's the like, gucchino Carlo was actually 26 as well. Like when they said their ages at the end of the movie, that's the actual ages. True. Yeah. yeah, that's right. um So
0: young Will Smith is like a naval commander, and then like would they still reveal it? Because like it would be more surprising if you're trading off a really likable, friendly yes. actor you
1: like, and then he's evil. Would they still
0: play that card at the thirty-five minute mark? Well, if they structured it,
1: they would have had to like play that. You know that one scene where Carla is trying to like get this one dude she meets at the bar to take her upstairs, and they're both. There's a perspective of Nick Cage seeing her and walking quickly, and Gary Sinise seeing her and walking quickly, and just, right, like they're trying to track them in this hotel. Yeah, it's like that that scene stories. wouldn't have played if we didn't know Gary Sinise was the bad guy.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I, I just wonder if they would have restructured like a bunch of things
1: about the movie. Well, okay, so this is the big thing that I heard was that you know. there's a reference at the end of the movie and they actually keep it in, which is fascinating to me because they filmed the movie out <laughs> of sequence, but the movie was going over budget and we talked about budget. Um, ah. At the end of the movie, Nick Cage is uh, hanging out on the, the pier with uh, Carla and he's going to go away to jail because we'll get into the moral reasons of what's going on with this movie and why it's kind of like a convoluted film. But sure. he's talking to her and how he still has nightmares of being trapped in the tunnel underwater. And it's like a weird thing about like, okay, he's referencing something in the script that actually happens. Like in the script, okay, David Kep yeah. wrote that the hurricane like actually does destroy the stadium and the entire like thing floods and there's this whole big action sequence after what we see in the, is the final conclusion of the police showing up and, and shooting Gary Sinise and everyone's safe, there's a whole, no, like...
0: Yeah, Gary Sinise kills himself because he's, like, cornered. The, the police shot him. The, the bullet. No, no, he shot himself in the chest. He
1: went to shoot himself in the chest, but then the police shot him. Uh, I did not
0: interpret that scene that way. I interpreted that as, like, he had a gun, like, out of sight and shot himself in the chest.
1: Yeah, I understand that, but I, I saw it as, like, that, then the police bullet came from the back. Cause that's where the bullet wound was. I in thought his...
0: that was an exit wound, but I don't
1: know. Give me Whatever. Let me sec. Uh, yeah. Rick uses it to Juliet's side, waiting for the Navy house to open fire. Yeah, and then witness the navy officer opening fire. And the crew that's him.
0: Of... That's Kevin Dunn, the navy officer.
1: No, no. Tipped off. Rick uses his cover to rush Julia outside, where the police, tipped off by Rick, are waiting and witness the navy officer opening fire. What? That's the thing. I don't
0: think that happens. He has his gun out yeah. and is like after them and they like go, Hey, put the gun down, sir. What are you Kevin, doing? And then Kevin like, commits Whoa. suicide
1: in the in the view of the live feeds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Sorry.
0: I anyway, the way the gun lined the up it didn't make happens. sense. But it's like I honestly was like making excuses for the movie. I was like, oh weird. It's like Nicholas Cage is talking about this like dream version of what happened and like with how rainy it was that night and all this, like he invented this drowning scenario, but it's like, no, that literally happened. Like this character talking about PTSD for a thing that didn't actually make it on screen. Yes. Because <laughs> they were, so they weird. went
1: over budget. Cause as you watch this movie, you're like, where did 73 million of a nineties American dollars go into this film? Movies didn't cost 73 million, especially like, like not huge scale thrillers. So I think there's production.
0: Looking up what Mission Impossible costs, but Mission Impossible is
1: that has set pieces. That's an action film. You're talking about a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. So look it up and see. It also Mission Impossible does like travel the world. Little globetrotting in there. Just
0: 1996 dollars, so 80 million. Yeah. So a little bit more.
1: But it had okay. But it's an action globetrotting action film with special effects.
0: Like there's a train and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas. Like, Industrial Light and Magic is, like, prominent in the credits, and I think it's for this unseen work. Like, maybe they still did some stuff with that globe or whatever. Yes. Yeah. But, like, it's like, wow, you really brought in big dogs for, like, a pretty simple little thing. Well, that's the thing is is what I hear. There was a whole thing you didn't see. What I hear is he did
1: film this sequence, and they paid for it, but in the last second, he decided it took away from what he wanted, and he just wanted it to be a simple movie, and so he cut this final sequence out that's a big cut like that's yes some trust in in brian there that's something but he like you said he was just coming off of mission impossible yeah
0: which was I a big movie for
1: paramounts right um yeah yeah okay i really want to chat about uh nicholas cage's character arc mm-hmm. and i want to talk about brian de palma a little bit which one do you want to talk about first
0: uh, let's talk about Ricky because, I mean, he's center to this whole thing. We talked about his moral mm-hmm. dilemmas and such, and, and we should probably elaborate on that. For
1: sure. So Ricky is uh, – we kind of quickly established in this opening sequence that he's a police officer. He's a pretty yeah. skeezy skeezball because of the clothes he's wearing. He keeps hitting <laughs> up all these people for money. He likes gambling. He's a little crooked. Not like full crooked. Like he's not like – peddling drugs or something like that but he's taking
0: envelopes of cash he's betting on fights like he's he's, but he's not crooked
1: in like the he's not like running drugs he's not running prostitutes like i just watched equalizer and those people are real like cops in that movie are really crooked whereas in this movie he's just
0: like or the bad lieutenant this is like the skeezy lieutenant yeah he's got a a weird yellow shirt and like a leather jacket yeah he's you know and these people like
1: he he's betting money a lot in legit ways because if he was really dirty The whole, there's one of the plot points of the movie is that the fight that he's at is fixed. If he's really dirty, he would know about the fixing of the fight type of thing.
0: Right. But I like how he plays that because I swear I was, like, trying to do the mental math of what he's saying to everybody. And I think he's trying to hustle more money out of the fighter for fixing it than he actually put down on the fight. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it's like... He's talking about putting down 5 grand but the guy's like no you are going to take forever to pay that back I'll see you that next christmas and then he hustles like Luis Guzman for a couple thousand and he, then he puts he, down no 2, no for 1000
1: on he he gets yeah. so Luis Guzman owes him money so he gets 1000 from him and then he goes and gives it, that $1000 to that loan shark as a dip- dip down payment cuz he wouldn't take in his $5 bet $5000 bet okay okay but then the guy didn't want that 100 so it was only 900 the blood money, yeah, the blood which is money. A little symbolism, for yes. You. Uh, yeah. And then eventually, when the fight gets called off, all bets are off too. Mm. Like there is no final count, so all bets are off. But then Kevin Dunn tries to give him five thousand dollars so that Kevin Dunn, who is the actor Kevin Dunn, can be a. <laughs> Could be a, right, the reporter like Jimmy, on scene.
0: the pay-per-view reporter or whatever, yes. wants this to be like his big breakout
1: for journalism moment. Yes, yeah. So because
0: they're their camera crew trapped in the stadium during this hurricane. Yes. So they're the only ones that have the access to this crazy story, which is the assassination of uh, the Secretary of Defense.
1: Yeah. So we find yeah. out like he's he's a bit crooked. His in his personal life, he's got a wife and a kid, but he also has a mistress on the side. Uh, he he just is like. It, even when he sits down with his kind of square friend, we think square friend, Kevin Dunn, uh, Gary Sinise, um, like Gary kind of ribs him about like cheating on his wife and how he's a little crooked and how he's just like, no, I just don't get away with it. I get away with it now. I used to not before. And so he goes Mm -hmm. along this journey where he thinks Gary Sinise is there to protect uh, a senator. No,
0: the Secretary of Defense. Secretary of Defense.
1: Yeah. SecDef. And... There's this big conspiracy around SecDef wants this new military project, blah, blah, blah. Gets assassinated.
0: Doctored results and all this for this test of this missile system, yeah.
1: Gets assassinated, and in the early parts of the movie, Gary Sinise thinks that he is going to get at fault for this because he left his post to go investigate this suspicious woman. And Nick Cage quickly is like no, we, you just don't lie, you just You just don't, you admit facts, right? You say what you did do, yeah. you don't say what you it's don't like, do. And
0: Like, you, you saw the assassin and you took him down and yes. stuff like this. Like, spin it in that way. And so, so we're starting it's to like, get, like, oh, a he's sense... trying to kind of help his friend, but yes. also use his kind of slick deal ways to get them out of this trouble. And I, I love the bottle scenario they established with, like, we got like an hour or 90 minutes before the FBI comes and takes over this investigation. It's like, perfect. That's enough time for a movie. (laughs) Like just kind of slide it in there. So it was, it it has a real time
1: aspect to it. Right. Um, so anyways, we're getting the sense of Ricky's moral compass. Like he's, he's not full corrupt, but he's definitely crooked type of thing Mm -hmm. goes about. He starts like trying to solve the mystery, even though the mystery has been solved by Gary Sinise because it's, him perpetrating the conspiracy. There's some things that don't make sense to Ricky. So he starts pursuing these routes.
0: Right. And he's pretty smart about it too. With just like the camera angle of just like, Hey, well, why would we waste time wandering around the casino looking for this thing? I'm going to go to the like security headquarters and look at cameras. Yes, It's like, okay. Like, that's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, and he even like
1: bitch in technology. He often like it's this movie actually kind of has camera and camera shots as like its key Thing Like, there's three big reveals that Ricky finds through c- cameras in this film. First is that the fight was rigged. Second was yeah. finding where Carlo was on the in the entire casino. And third was finding out that his buddy friend was the killer. Lying. Like, yeah, yeah he's the like, main conspirator. So at yeah. the end of the movie, like, the reason why Gary Sinise invited Ricky there was because if something was to go south, he would have no problem. He thinks his friend would be like would then move to be on the take. Like they'd pay him off and he would just be fine with the conspiracy. The problem being, and this is the problem that Ricky has is like what he does doesn't hurt anybody. He's playing with, he's like, he's like, he shows up to a drug bust and he'll take, he'll, he'll lift $10,000 from the drug money. So it doesn't go back to the police station. That's the type of corrupt he is, but he's not killing people. He's not like beating people up and murdering them for whatever purpose. Yeah. And so his big thing is like, well, no, no, Carla's in the middle of this now. If I just go with it, you're going to go kill her because she's a suspect. Yeah. So. Yeah, Anyways. no,
0: it's neat that the, like he has this kind of moral line inside him that his friend doesn't know is there, I guess. like yeah. It's just like, oh, he's a dirty cop. Uh, we'll be able to pay him off. Don't worry about that. But they've already crossed his line by, like, assassinating someone and killing co-conspirators Yes. at this point. So it's like hey, I don't, I've never killed anyone, though. Like, it's just kind of, like, this weird conflict they run into where they, they kind of don't know each other the way they thought they did kind of thing. It kind of works. Like, it's a little corny, but I kind of liked... Like, he has this crisis of conscience when he's talking to Carla in the stairwell. Like, it's just like, oh, I didn't want to know this. Like, he just kind of has this, like, very Nick Cage acting, like, big acting. But he's yeah. having this, like visceral reaction to hearing this information and well, it's because, it's cool. Because it there's works. this
1: great sequence where Gary Sinise points out that like, hey, if you don't go along with this and you become the hero cop, the media will like take you down eventually because you are crooked. Yeah,
0: like your your crooked life is gonna be exposed. You're gonna lose your wife, you're gonna lose your family. Yeah. So it's not even and, just
1: about the million dollars he's being offered right then. He's talking about the future prospect of like if you do this right thing right now, your whole life is gonna fall apart in a negative way. Yeah. And yeah. to be fair, yes, it does. And the movie gives us this weird like six minute at the end of the epilogue where all it is is like, yeah, Nick Cage saves Carla and then just shit on Nick cage for six minutes of so just like no well, his it's life just falls like apart. a
0: tabloid <laughs> journalism thing. like it's just like hero cop, Rick Santoro, and he's getting like a medal from the mayor yeah. and then like seconds later, like, running up on his lawn and he's getting into a Lamborghini or something. It's like, is it true? Are you corrupt? Well, oh, it's like, Oh no. And then he gets like, like he's immediately and then, disgraced. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end and of the movie, we never see his wife or kid. Like they're just talked about. Yes. Well, like, we see
1: a picture of his, of his, him and his son type of thing. We do see oh, his we son. do. Okay. Um, okay. But like, yeah. And then the end of the movie comes, he meets Carla in front of the casino that they're rebuilding. And they have this weird spark of like, maybe I'll talk to you in 12 to 18 months. And you're like, Oh, yeah, okay, Nick Cage is just going to jail now. Yeah, but he did the right thing. What was the point of this? I get why people say, like, they don't love this movie, because I'm like, if it wasn't honestly for a few things, Nick Cage's performance and how much fun he's having, I would probably be like, yeah, this movie has nothing. Like, it's nothing. Well, sure,
0: I, I really am a sucker for, like, some playful camera work. And, like, okay. this movie is Nathan, just jamming. I said a few things,
1: that. a few things, yeah. and the camera work was one of them. Like, the cinematography okay. was great. Like, I really sat there enjoying all the choices that uh, Brian De Palma and the DOP made of, like, the first... Like, whenever time you went to a new character's perspective of things, we went into first person. And it was just okay. great. When I, when I was, like...
0: I basically had some food poisoning last week when we tried to do this before. When I was in that, like, headachy, bloaty, gross state, I didn't even understand what was happening when there was, like, the same scene again, but from, like, a first-person perspective. I was just like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I can't follow this movie. That's when I had to bail out. I was just like, this movie's pulling some crazy time warping. I don't know. But watching it again now, it's just like, oh, okay, that's the most straightforward thing in the world. It's literally just... Lincoln Tyler's perspective on the same moment when Nick is trying to, like, talk to him. Yes. And, like, before Luis exits yep. and whatever, like, you get a little more information yep. behind that closed door kind of thing.
1: And you get this great camera like, camera angle shot where he, he's talking to his lawyer and then the camera turns to a mirror where then he starts ghost punching with the mirror. But you don't see him standing in front of it. You just see him in, in the mirror. You just
0: see Stan Shaw there. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. There, there's some fun tricks happening. Uh, but... Yeah, it was, it was a bit dizzying when I was when I was trying to look at it in that state. But in hindsight, yeah, this movie is, like, kind of thin on actual mysterious elements to chew on. I'd
1: say it's, like, the movie is pure plot. Like, it, all it is is a piece that takes you a piece to it takes you a piece for 90 minutes. And then it ends with the last yeah. few minutes having this moral dilemma piece come up. Right. But really, it's not, like, a character guide. It's not, like, a story that's probably worth t- telling. But... I had a good time. It's a little
0: splashy and a little fun, like, at for that. Like, I kind of miss, like, I don't know that I miss this climax that didn't happen, but I did kind of feel there was, like, a missing, like, spectacle yes. at the end or something. Like, there, there's just...
1: Why had this like, storm if it leads to nothing?
0: There's, like, kind of a cool, like, first-person view when, like, Nick is, uh, Ricky is, is punch drunk and he's mm-hmm. trying to stumble out of there and they have this tracking bug on him and all this stuff. Yep. But there's not really like a big cool moment for Ricky to like use his cop wiles <laughs> no, no. to solve it or anything. It's
1: actually kind of like so. I, I'm it's saying I, luck. I'm saying yeah. I'm laughing and it's it's pretty terrible because to find out like I didn't know sinney's killed himself. But when they cut to that final camera shot of him, like because so like looking like deer in the headlights on. Yeah, the like so the whatever. cops br- busted this door. And, and kind of save Nick Cage and Carla accidentally and stumble into this situation where Gary Sinise is going to kill them. And the police sh- show up and they got their guns out and they like put it down. And then the camera crew shows up and he's got his gun out and they say, put it down. All these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They cut to this camera shot of just like – it's a news footage camera shot of Gary Sinise with deer headlights. And he's like yeah. standing there don't know what to do. When he turns around to try to exit – It was – I was laughing out loud because I was like, it's weirdly hilarious. Like, he's just in his mind like, I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to – and it was just because it was locked. I don't know. I found something about Gary Sinise's acting in that sequence to be really funny and super not appropriate for eventually him killing himself. Like so.
0: Speaking of, like, weird inappropriate for a moment or whatever, I found it super strange that there's this, like, dramatic climax between those two characters – well, it's the third camera situation where, uh, Nikki or Ricky Nicholas Cage yes. playing Ricky yes. is looking at the footage from this like new camera and sees that his friend was lying. Like the red haired woman wasn't even there. He was poised to like shoot this assassin on cue. Like yeah. it's clear he's in on it. Uh, and then when like the, that's being like he, uh, Gary Sinise is like pitching him the million dollar payoff and all this stuff. Like it's a weirdly wide shot of Nicolas Cage, and there's just like a scrolling billboard in the background yeah. on the jumbotron, and it's just like
1: Pepsi, <laughs> yeah. Pepsi, Canon, like Casio. Why is
0: this in frame? This is so weird. Oh, for me, it was. Distracting.
1: I was watching it all the time because it it, Casio was a big uh, funder that night, like you know the watch brand Casio and Canon, yeah. and a lot of these. Like I was like, Casio was that big at one point, huh? That they just like uh-huh. were able to. But anyways, uh, the shot that I thought you were talking about was when he first realizes there's actually a pretty decent shot of like uh I knew it because I've seen this movie before, but like in the back right back left corner up the top of the stairs behind him, Gary Sinise is just standing there and his feet are, are visible but kinda not because they're in the shadows. But if you look, you'll see something and then Oh yeah he starts I walking down. That, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's just like, like he's a
0: waiting for yes. the moment to be dramatic, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and then he presses the erase. And then they did it twice. So they did it a second time with the, uh, what's that? What's the boxer's name you said?
0: Uh, Stan Shaw is the actor. Okay. Lincoln, Lincoln Tyler sure, is the But character.
1: Stan Shaw is also, they have a second thing where Stan Shaw, because he goes, he's, early in the movie he seems like he's in a, a, a state of regret, but then by the third act he's like full corrupt again. It's kind of weird. He
0: gets bought into it and is now like a heavy for them and is beating up Nick Cage.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, like weirdly a, enough, uh, between my two viewings of this film, I watched Rocky one in six with my, with my girlfriend. Cause we want to watch Creed this month. And I was like, well, I don't know if you can just dive into Creed without caring at all about Rocky.
0: Like you need some context about who this coach is. Yes. Like, and like, cause treats it's kind of legendary. Yeah.
1: Like all of the emotional impact is like around Apollo Creed and Rocky's relationship and all this stuff. So I decided to show her Rocky 1 and 6 because it kind of, like, they're Rocky's bookend storylines type of thing. Sure. And you kind of avoid the... the most important chapters. You kind of avoid, like, the fun, silly 2, 3, 4 stuff. Because I Mm -hmm. told her, I was like, like, really, she saw Rocky 1 and 6, and I was like, Rocky does win, just to let you know. Because... Those movies, he just loses both of the battles. Like, in the
0: interim, he becomes the heavyweight champ yeah. and all And Apollo stuff,
1: yeah. gets killed. And I was like, realized, oh, I actually do have to show her Apollo 4 because... Like, I he mean, wins was... the Cold War somehow? Yeah. Like, well, just it, all you kind of have happening. to watch Rocky 4 because <laughs> Creed 2 is all about Rocky 4s. <laughs> because Apollo Creed gets killed by... Anyways, so I showed her them. Uh, Stan Shaw is a boxer in Rocky. He's the guy that Mickey chooses to train instead of Rocky before Rocky gets the big fight
0: okay yeah cool I, like I think in real life he's like a black belt guy like he actually has some fighting chops okay so it's kind of cool that yeah the fighting in this movie is so funny to me because it's like basically a bunch of crowd reactions to things you're not seeing no. but so that's important like, they don't oh, want man, you to see this boxing match
1: they don't yeah. want you to see because the camera would maybe betray us. And it would be
0: redundant later because we get Lincoln's, like, first-person view of the fight. And we get camera
1: angles of the ghost punch and stuff like that. Of the ghost punch, yeah. yeah. So I I actually thought it was pretty clever the way that he reveals things slowly. Like, none of the scenes that repeated themselves felt fully redundant because I was actually paying attention to, like, because these actors have to react these situations out every time. And it's like, Mm. oh, is Nick Cage doing the exact same thing? And for the most part, I thought everybody did a really good job. There's some timing problems in this movie. When Carla sits down to start talking to the Secretary of Defense, it's not quite the timing of that sequence. It's a little short. They seem
0: to talk and point at some pictures and express some things before the shooting happens.
1: But But, the shooting takes longer. There's some sequences where it's clearly like they padded it out and then they shorten it for other things. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I, I mean, I have a good time. Right now, like, I saw Snake Eyes in 98, and Blockbuster came out on Blockbuster. We watched it. It's because we were a Nick Cage family. And, I mean, it was advertised as, like, the Mission Impossible director, which was, like, a huge movie for me as a kid. Like, I, I saw – I was anticipating Mission Impossible. I love Mission Impossible. It's so great to me. Yeah. But years go by, and I find out who Brian De Palma actually is. And how he's like the most hit and miss director, period, mm-hmm. ever. Because I mean, his recent stuff has been no. Hit, okay, miss, this but, is yeah. his <laughs> last maybe good movie, *Femme Fatale*. I'm gonna watch *Femme Fatale*. I've never seen it before. People talk about good about it. Like Roger gave it a really good review,
0: but okay. I've never seen
1: it. This might be his last great, good movie. Because mm-hmm. he had *Mission to Mars* after this, and it's not. That's not a good movie.
0: It's not a good movie. I, I weirdly saw it a
1: couple times but yeah well because like <laughs> also, that was gary sinise yeah like that was the summer that was the summer of the mars movies and both of them sucked so bad because like yeah. red planet came out too anyways all right i want to talk a little bit about brian De Palma. i know you're a big uh untouchables fan
0: i i recently watched it again too because i the, it's really like maurice music in that movie is like S-
1: superb. Mm-hmm. Like there's some
0: amazing stuff and i was just like I just want to hear that again in context, so I watched that movie again.
1: Okay. Uh yeah. I'm just like I don't dislike Untouchables. I just think it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even close to like the top when I think of gangster films, I don't put it on the list.
0: Yeah. Neither it's, do I put It's like as a kid I could follow it, so it's pretty che- it's pretty cheese. Like it's pretty Simple.
1: I and guess. to be fair, like, it's based I did on a see...
0: '50s TV show. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. And well, and it's based on history too, right? A bit. Like also, yeah. They fuzz it, but yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's one of those things where I saw Naked Gun before I saw Untouchables,
0: so like the climax is just a gag now. Well, like, you know, impossible. like
1: is it the scene where the the uh, it's the baby carriage? Yeah, baby yeah, carriage. We, yeah. I I I saw that in the film, and I was like, oh, that's funny. Because it made me think of Naked Gun, which was like, I know that's not Untouchable's fault. But you and I have Mm -hmm. talked about this a bit, and I like David Mamet. I really do like David Mamet. I think he writes really great dialogue. I don't understand Brian De Palma's directing sometimes in this movie because it's like he forgets that you don't have to, just because it was written as a play or written by a playwright doesn't mean you have to film it like a play. Like you can use a camera and he loves using a camera, but the scene that people talk about is that one scene where Sean Connery moves around the room and kind of talks to all these agents that are waiting. They're all
0: waiting for a a job to start like a a deal at the border. And then, yeah, it's, it's full play style. Like he just kind of walks over to a character and talks to them for 30 seconds and then goes over to another character and it's a long take, but it's very simply staged.
1: Yes. I, I don't know why it bugs me so much I think it bugs me because did did we see doubt together?
0: I uh, yes, we did. Okay. And that's a that's a playwright directing his own story, but y- you felt it it gives it more cinema like, magic cuz it,
1: it's a uh, Deacons, right? It's Deacons like filming that film, I think it was pretty sure. Oh, was it? Yeah. I anyway, know he just like he finds ways to like in that scene where I could see playing out really well on a play form where Philip Seymour Hoffman is being confronted by Meryl Streep and Amy Adams has to watch this. There's yeah. this like tension that grows through the cinematography, and even though it takes takes place in one room, the camera is used in a way to build tension. I don't know, like I just I kind of was like, I don't know what I have. I just I just have this like, nat- like inclination of not liking The Untouchables. Well, I
0: feel like De Palma loves camera play. Which like, is, that's what I mean. As said in this movie. So, I mean, it's obviously a choice then. It's not like a lack of ability. It's just kind of choosing to frame that scene Correct. in a very simple manner. But, yeah.
1: Okay, so it's, convince me, yeah. or let's spend a little bit of time. Yeah, it's Roger Deakins that did Doubt. Okay, crazy. Um Convince me. Well, that convince me, but, like, make an argument if you could. And I can make one uh, of the same do you like De Palma? Do you like Brian De Palma as a filmmaker?
0: I mean, overall, like his early work is kind of just like fun R-rated Hitchcock-like fan films. Yeah, like they're really expressly taking stuff Hitchcock did, but making them like sleazy and seventies and eighties. This like, is a R-rated. perfect
1: segue. This is a perfect segue yeah. because it, so you've seen you yeah. talked about Blowout.
0: Like Blowout is is one. Yes. Uh, there's there's others but yes I'm they, talking to, very for every body double
1: I guess yeah for every blowout that exists, dress to kill exists as well. Mm-hmm. Have you seen dress to kill? No. It is pure hot garbage. It is like it's but doing like, that trashy, all of that. You no, know, but like okay, like, <laughs> and I like his trashy stuff because body double I think is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I'm yeah. laughing my butt off watching body double. I don't think I'm supposed to. But I am definitely laughing the entire time. I think Body Double is hilarious. Dress to Kill is like that, but not nearly as funny and way more boring. But he has Mm. all of those Hitchcockian things you're talking about where it's like it's a a killer, a serial killer that's going around killing people. It's like people point toward it as like one of the early um, took, took advantage of the slasher film, but kind of before. Friday the 13th kind of took off but after Halloween because it's very okay. done, it's it's done in the first person the serial killings. It's Yeah, he
0: seems to really love first person stuff. He yeah. there's
1: a big twist in it that's like very controversial especially in today's world because okay. like I'm going to well I'm going to ruin it for you. Do you mind? Are you going to watch this movie ever?
0: Is it is well, it's fine. I'll probably forget or it'll it'll have to stand on its own merits. Michael <laughs> Kane like, Michael
1: Kane is the the psychiatrist who's helping this girl get through these problems but she thinks that she's being stalked by somebody michael kane turns out to be uh the killer who dresses up as a woman to kill people as that woman very similar that's
0: like basically norman bates's mom yes kind of stuff but like
1: the whole movie is kind of addresses the idea of somebody who is a transsexual as mentally yeah
0: i mean what was uh Raising Cain also has
1: the, the and that's the other thing is that I saw Raising Cain before I saw Dress to Kill. And Raising Cain is the exact same twist, but with a different like setup. Because this movie's Just the Kill's more of like a slasher film where Raising Cain is like about a man's like slowly unwinding, but then the twist again is that he's a he's a transvestite, transsexual closeted yeah, person.
0: Like a cross dressing killer. And like, he Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyways, Dress to Kill this is might be because I, I, I hear people love it. I don't understand it. I was so angry watching this movie. I was like, this is a waste of mm. my time. Mm. But, like, that, that's so many of his movies. I don't like Scarface. I think Scarface is maybe one of the worst uh, gangster films ever made.
0: Yeah. Like, by the time I saw it, it already had so much reputation that it's kind of, like, already interesting just as, like, a study. But it's not – it was never, like – an engaging movie on its own terms. It was like, oh, this is the bit from Grand Theft Auto Vice City. They got it
1: from this. <laughs> it's like, okay. To be fair, cool. Grand Theft Auto Vice City is Scarface. Like, that is there. 100%. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it was just like, oh, wow. Tony, like, the mansion's the same. Yeah. Like, it was, it was like an Easter egg, like, special feature for Vice City for me. It was, like, um, enjoyable,
1: but yeah. Carlito's Way, people talk about. I, I find Carlito's Way to be supremely boring.
0: Mm, I haven't actually checked that one out, so... Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, honestly speaking, and I say this is like... Sometimes I like to say things like... Terminator 3 is my favorite Terminator film. Just to kind of piss yeah. off people that, like, think that Terminator 2 is the greatest action film of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't care about that type of person's opinion. Like, or someone who says Aliens is better than Alien. Like, that doesn't... I don't compute. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. So, I yeah. like, jokingly will say that, no, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines is the best Terminator film just to kind okay, of piss wh- those people off. It's not actually the best one. That's crazy. Terminator sure, 2 sure, is but the best wh- one. What's
0: your like edgy Palma take? Like? But it's
1: like Mission Impossible <laughs> is his best film.
0: Oh, sure. I I, I actually believe that's true. Okay, like, cool. Like it's it's the most entertaining film he ever made. Yeah. And it has one insane like poorly staged <laughs> twist moment in no, no, it no, but that like, was so confusing. It's poorly staged <laughs> as a kid. As a kid. As an adult, I'm like yeah. Oh, okay. As an adult, okay. it's like creative. Yes. But as like as a kid, it's like why is Tom Cruise telling John Voight that he knows? It's just like no, he's he's not. It would be a voiceover, but that's not fun. Yeah. You get Tom acting a little bit. Yes. Like yeah. No. There's it's, a moment where I never been a he's kid, basically speaking. I know. I remember being a kid and watching the scene.
1: Be. And it's just like, wait, why is he telling him? And then why is there this weird reveal on the train? Because I'm like, you already know what is going on. This is a problem with Diploma. He likes to reveal the bad guy before it's probably appropriate in the story. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I know that there's, there are tropes sometimes that we know who the bad well, guy that, is. That's
0: the thing. Like, we were talking, like, in Body Double, there's, like, actually, oh, when it's goodness. supposed to happen, reveal. But it's so ineffective because the makeup is so bad. <laughs> and, like, it's the character so bad. hasn't been seen. Who's that for, actor? Like, Henry... Hour?
1: What's his name? Greg Henry, right? Who's? Oh, is it? Yeah, I think yeah, it's Greg yeah. Henry because yeah. he was
0: the bad guy in uh, X versus Severus. Yes, Greg so Henry is is
1: in this movie Body Double, which is okay. The how I came across Body Double like is my one of my favorite all time stories. So I was working mm-hmm. at VHQ. I just got started working at VHQ, the video store. My manager, like in the interview process, was like, all we did was talk about movies because he was a big movie guy. And I was, I've seen at that point, a lot of movies, he was very like, oh, this is great. Like you're going to be, do well here. He hires me in my interview and almost every single shift that I ever worked with him. He kept talking to me about body double and he would tell me stories about like how every single person he's ever shown body double, like he's like, it is the best twist in a movie ever made. He's never met a human being who couldn't figure out the twists before the end. He would host parties to show people this movie and all of them would be like, whoa, that's the craziest twist I've ever seen type of thing. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting there being like, oh, okay, fascinating. Like, it's Brian De Palma. That kind of makes sense. I'll watch it. Um, when I finally got to watching this movie years later, like it wasn't, we didn't have it at RVHQ, so I was working at HMB and I, I just ordered it and bought it. The twists. The moment that, so there's this guy, I know we're on a tangent, but there's this guy who kind of like rear windows, this like porn star that lives in another house beside him. And he keeps creepily watching her change at night. But one night he looks over and somebody's breaking into her house and destroying things. And you look through this camera, like there's this shot of him looking through the binoculars and you see, oh, that's Greg Henry wearing makeup. That is Greg (laughs) Henry wearing makeup.
0: Dude, I wonder if this is another one of our like uh, last action hero style like HD problems
1: or something. I watched this on like... DVD. He said he okay. showed people on DVD. Like, I agree it's with like, you. Like, I had
0: a I had a CRT and like a laserdisc, and no one could solve. this. No, movie. like
1: this guy was like I. This guy, I remember this guy saying it. Like, I bought it on VHS. He's the only movie I've ever rebought on DVD. Like, he said he still showed people, and I was like. I saw – and it was like – Nathan, it couldn't have even been a VHS because it's so clearly Greg <laughs> Henry in like yeah. chin and nose makeup. And you're like, that's, a, that's the character – that's this character over here. And then the movie continues on where you're trying to figure out who this killer is. And I'm like, but it's Greg Henry. That's who it is. And then it all of a sudden <laughs> – and so I'm sitting there being like, my manager told me this is the best twist. So I was like, okay, maybe this is like the false twist. This like, is a red herring. Yeah, and yeah. then the movie plays out exactly as it's supposed to, and Greg Henry is the bad guy, and you're like, "Oh, oh, uh, that that is the best twist of all time, huh?" <laughs> I mean, well, like it's... the movie
0: confidently tells you that that guy's out of town, yeah. <laughs> so if you just buy it, then you're like, "Well, he's house is sitting for him. Like, obviously, can't and, be like, that guy." I know, four.
1: I know. I like, pay whatever. attention too much to so wigs. Like you point out, like I, I can see a wig from a mile away, type of thing. And I was yeah. certain. I was like, "This can't be like that. Like, this is like pretty, very evidently Greg Henry's, like right there." <laughs> yeah,
0: it's still a fun movie, though. Oh, it's like, that's just like a. a here's s- the thing: it's a hoot. bit of because it is the cheese. it is yeah. the
1: sleaziest movie I've ever seen in my entire life that made it until like because it's like oh, the whole movie takes place uh this he falls in love with this porn star who goes to a porn set he gets to walk on a porn set and have sex with porn stars like i was like that's the craziest situation i've ever seen but the whole movie a body double is when they swap out an actor who doesn't want to be naked with a body double so the whole sequence the whole credit sequence so snake Eyes credit sequence is kind of great because it's just a camera sitting and watching crews walking around a building i was so palma loves this because yeah. body double is literally just a girl standing, a body double standing in the shower while they, the 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 in film director films her being naked in the shower, and that's the whole credit like you sequence. You see how they would swap out a person yes. for a body double, but that's yeah, the credit yeah. sequence. And I was just like, "This yeah. is all right." The DeBalmer. construction
0: ending at the end of this movie, I was just like so bewildered by it. And even at the end, it like has a little moment where it's just like, eh? there's a ruby red ring in the pillar," and it's just like what was somebody wearing that? <laughs> and then like reading the wiki, whoever wrote the wiki summary was great. Cause they point that out like twice, like they foreshadow it. And then at the end of the movie, like let you know, Oh, so where was the foreshadow was earlier that. in
1: the movie?
0: Uh, just that like, it's like when they, when they mention that commander Kevin Dunn sees this like red, red haired woman at the fight, she, they mention that she's wearing this like large Ruby ring. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, thanks for tipping me that, because I missed that, like, twice. Okay. So, and then the ring kind of winks at you at the end, and then it's over.
1: Yeah. Like, a sun gleams off of it mm-hmm. or whatever. No, I remember. But, yeah. I, anyways, so De Palma's obsession with, so anyways, Body Double is a really fun movie that's so trashy and terrible that, like, right. I, again, I can't tell if if it's, like, does he know he's being unintentionally hilarious, or is he being...
0: I don't – like, at some point, if you're making entertainment and it's entertaining, like, I don't know if it matters. No, it doesn't.
1: But I'm just trying to understand him in his creative process. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because, like, Raising Cain is unintentionally hilarious, I think.
0: Right. Or is it intentionally hilarious? Because what a gag. Yeah, that is – John Lithgow.
1: That's true. I just – that's what I mean. So I try to figure out. I know what you're saying. If it's – like, Battlefield Earth, to me, is not a bad movie because it's so great at being terrible. Right. So it doesn't matter that it was actually a bad film.
0: Sure. I, I, that's the thing. I think I I kind of want to assume De Palma knows mostly what he's doing. Like he's trying to make entertaining stuff. I but don't know, man. I'm not convinced. It's hard to say.
1: I'm not convinced he's a great director. I think he's. he's got some luck. He's got some yeah. good. Like when he tries to do straightforward, it works out really well. When he tries to do his thing, that's typically when it doesn't work out very well.
0: Hmm. I want to assert something here just because, like, it it stood out to me as, like, a possibility, especially with some of the stuff I was reading. Uh, So Spielberg knew De Palma for many years, and apparently this was a movie that was, like, screened for him before it was done. Like, uh, they they would have that kind of, like, hey, can you take a look at my latest thing and, like, get some feedback or whatever. Uh, So there's a shot in this movie that I was like, wow, this is like that shot in Minority Report. And then hearing this like relationship with them is just like, Oh, maybe it's like literally just, Hey Brian, how did you do that shot? We're we're doing a similar thing here in Minority Report. Yes. Like it's it's the hotel rooms, like they go over the rooms and you're just kind of yeah yeah, yeah 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 because they do that the similar thing in, in the hotel yes and then in Minority Report there's like the spider drone that's like searching this building for Minority John Report does Edmonton. it so much
1: better but I understand what you're saying
0: oh I told yeah I know I mean it's like you get to iterate on this cool idea and actually yes. put in a better
1: story I'm like pretty sure better. that ideas happened before though even before Ma- De Palma. maybe it just
0: the way it was like structured was very like that yes. it was just slower yes like it pans slower
1: across the you get to see less things that's kind of... for certain I I know yeah. that. Uh, Spielberg, I believe, I mean, I might be wrong on this, but I have this like vague in- inclination that Spielberg was involved in some way in helping edit or film Mission Impossible because Brian De Palma at that point oh, had like, never, made a, a big, yeah, like he never or... made a big consultant. Yeah. Like he never made a big blockbuster film and Spielberg and right. him do kind of go back to that seventies class of director, right? Like Spielberg, Lucas, all, Coppola, at the
0: same time. Scorsese, yeah.
1: Uh, they all kind of come up at the same time, so they all kind of have this friendliness. Like I had heard, is it not true that like De Palma was up for filming a Star Wars film at some point?
0: I could see that meeting of having taken place. Like that makes sense. So. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I had fun. It's it's pretty it's pretty light though. Like I honestly had very few notes for this one. Relative yeah. To oh, that's what I mean. Because it's like, oh, I think that's the guy from Malcolm in the Middle. Like just little things. Wait, like, which
1: one from Malcolm in the Middle?
0: Uh, the guy like whose hotel room like Carla kind of bullies her way into. I think yes. he
1: works with Lois. He does work Malcolm with Lois one hundred percent. Yeah, he does. Uh, this is great because like I just watched WandaVision this week. At is the Malcolm and Middle episode and it was right, great. Yeah, the so. intro.
0: But uh, and then yeah, the dumb Kevin like the Kevin Dunn thing was so specific. Like as I was watching the movie, I was like. Man, if this isn't a dumb IMDb trivia note, like I have to write it cuz it's just so weird that there's like a major character named Kevin Dunn in the story and then Kevin Dunn Oh, I guarantee happens, like, you, Brian De Palma,
1: movie. Brian De Palma hired Kevin Dunn because David Kep wrote the name <laughs> Kevin Dunn down. First of all, yeah. okay, this movie's ri- written by David Kep who like I think I really like David Kep as a writer filmmaker, but he yeah. is not super consistent when he works on big 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 movies for other people.
0: Sure. He has like, some I great mean, stuff.
1: Yeah. Like, the writer of Jurassic Park, uh, he – what else has he worked? He worked on – like, Jurassic like Park Secret Window, I think, was him. Well, that's what like, he, directed. he directed, yeah, that. type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, like, he's he's really – like, he did Indiana Jones 4, which I know people don't love, but I do, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Mission Impossible, yeah, he did Mission Impossible. He did Spider-Man. Um, yeah, but he's also worked on all of the Dan Brown books – like, he wrote Da Vinci Code.
0: Oh, dude.
1: Yeah, that's okay. what I mean. Like, he's not super <laughs> that's consistent. Like, but yeah. he's he's generally pretty great. Like, yeah, he did Lost World, Mission Impossible, Jurassic Park. He did The Shadow, which is a movie I really like.
0: Alec Baldwin? Yeah. Yeah. Same D.O.P., though. definitely in our document of, like, maybe we'll look at this kind of thing. Uh,
1: same D.O.P., though. Shadow and, and uh, Brian De Palma's guy was the same director. He did Panic Room uh, and Spider-Man. He did War of the Worlds, uh, Angels and Demons, sorry, he came on in Angels and Demons, and then mm-hmm. he went on to do Inferno, so. Anyways, he's just like, he's involved in the New Indiana Jones movie, again, but I I like him, but this is one of his movies, him and De Palma came up with the idea, and then he wrote the scripts. Yeah. I, don't know. I like kept he makes a good thriller, nice. Secret Window. I guess
0: my last my last like point will be like kind of in contrast to what we were saying last batch about the hidden being like impossible editing task for like a superstation guy. This one is the easiest. <laughs> there's like barely anything in this movie that is making it R rated to mm-hmm. the point where I was like, is this was that PG thirteen? Like almost nothing happened. But I think like, there's too many f bombs. There, there's like the one assassination scene. Yes.
1: There's one f bomb in the whole movie. Then I that's understand the that's PG thirteen level right there.
0: Basically, right? Like it's like other than the one scene where a guy gets shot in the throat, which you could easily edit around, and then just like you get it because Carla's jacket's covered in blood. Yeah. So it's like, oh, dude's assassinated. Like it was really simple. Oh, it has
1: that. IMDb. I know this is IMDb, so it's people, but it has like uh, violence and gore. It's severe. What? Oh, you know what it is? It's the beating scene. Rick takes a huge beating to the face.
0: He does get beaten up a bit, but I mean. I think, sure? with,
1: I think it's to do with – I think it's to do with his, like, how bloodied up he looked at the end type of thing. Like how
0: punch drunk and, like, swollen and yeah. everything, I guess. Are boxing films are <laughs> because of that? Like, no, I think anyways. that's
1: different. Like, again, like, the MPAA has different rules. Like, it depends upon the type of violence. So, like, violence where it's, like, you're trying to kill the other person is worse than violence where it's, like, in a sporting match or football. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. it's, like, you're not trying to kill the other person. The other person just got hurt. Mm. anyways yeah Yeah. Snake Eyes is fine Um, so we're not doing MVP because I think both of us would probably agree on this one at least that yes Nicolas Cage I I mean he kept me entertained the whole time
0: it's not like his greatest role ever, but he, he eats everything he can. Like my favorite line from him was, I was made for this sewer baby and I am the king. Yes. And he's like yelling at the fight. Yeah. He just gets to be as like big and boisterous as he wants to in that first half hour. Yeah. When it's like, it's fight night he's just like radiating with energy. So yeah. So runner up, I guess, is so who we're I think
1: the to problem him. we're gonna have is I think from based upon our conversation, our runner is gonna be identical. Oh, that's a huge chance of it type of thing. So do you want to go first? Or, okay.
0: Or... Like I've been waiting for that to happen for like 30 episodes. <laughs> like it just would be like, we both agree. This person was great. Uh, but okay. Like three, two, one. You're okay. Carla, sure. Carla. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh no. Okay. Done. We're good. Okay.
0: <laughs> good. I gave it to Carla. Uh, like this is the youngest I'd seen her and just woman in trouble kind of stuff. I actually really appreciated that her character genuinely needed glasses. That yes, was a big thing for me because I thought it was part of her disguise at the fight, because she comes in with an obvious wig, even for me, and just looks really weird. And <laughs> was... then her glasses get stepped on, and then there's scenes like from the first person where she's got like super nearsighted stuff, and I'm like, I've yeah. been there, and that would be even scarier if you can't tell who's who's friendly or not or whatever. So, but yeah, I she just she just gives a solid performance here, and I was. It's super shoehorned, I guess, like the love like the uh, love interest thing at the end. But yep. at the same time, I like both of those people, and it's like great. Like if they can like make that work, I'm happy seeing that. That's a fun note to end on. So I I was happy with her in this. So Carla okay. Gugino.
1: Yeah. Uh, my first encounter with Carla was son-in-law, the Polly Shore film. She's the main oh, love that, interest, that, that so I saw that.
0: It's movie. kind of like an American Gothic poster. But yes. Like
1: nineties. Carla Carla's the girl on that poster. So that was my first really? encounter with her. So it's before okay. Snake Eyes. She is great yeah. in this movie. I do I do like her as well and I feel like they do a good job. Because honestly, I actually I sat there being like the woman in trouble pieces that you're talking about, but they it felt shoehorned at the end that there was a romance between them. Because yeah, the movie no, it had no it. sense of that at all. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end she's like, So what are you doing? He's so, like
0: hey in 18 months like you want to give me a call or whatever and it's like yeah okay cool cute i guess like she knows how much he sacrificed for this and i kind of like that stairwell scene too because like she's she's being like a genuine whistleblower like it's kind yes. of like a weirdly modern problem of like my bosses are doing something crazy and i found out about it and yes. i'm trying to do the right thing here and then he does the initial thing where it's like oh like you know him like C- Commander Kevin Dunn is your friend. Like I screwed up, you're gonna not help me out at all. But then yep. they kind of he gets past it and whatever. So it was it was a good scene. So yeah. Uh,
1: anyway, so mine was Stephen Burnham. Burnham. The the, the cameraman. Yeah, dop. Uh, okay. Because this movie, like for me, aside from Nick Cage's energy and how much fun he's having in the film, the cinematographer is having as much fun too, and he is creating yeah. things that are like oh, this is just, I don't care about what's happening in this story, but this looks cool constantly throughout the film. Like, constantly throughout the film. It's not something that just, like, sometimes, like, good camera happens sporadically. This is, like, he's always having a good time throughout this movie. Yeah. And so... There's
0: a lot to love here for that, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, But he's, like, he is Brian De Palma's big guy. Like, he's been working with him for years. So, And that's great because, like, I also like other things that Brian De Palma's done with him. Um, mm-hmm. But, yes, so that's my big guy. He, and we've talked lots about the camera work in this movie. But he's my he's my big MVP. And, I mean, I was considering putting Gary Sinise on toots because, like, Gary did exactly what Gary does. Like, he's he's yeah. got those, like, deep-set eyes and the bags under them. It's like, oh, that guy's evil. Oh, cool, he is. Cool. So, and he's competent. <laughs> and they don't play the around ways. with it. Uh, yeah. I'm going to put this out there. I'm never going to give MVP to Kevin Dunn, the actor, because he's so always Kevin Dunn, and I find him to be the most bland thing ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just Kevin Dunn is a reporter for pay-per-view <laughs> at, the, at this Kevin stadium. Dunn is
1: Shia LaBeouf's dad in three Transformers films. Like, that's oh, what he we, does. We never,
0: we never brought up John Hurd's, like, skeezy yes. okay, like, well, John real Herd,
1: estate guy. John Hurd, yeah. aside from being Macaulay Culkin's dad, Kevin McAllister's dad... He is just a skeevy dude in films. Like that's where the role he plays. I watched yeah. – uh, oh, no, he doesn't play it skeevy. I watched Pelican Brief for the first time a couple weeks ago because I was like, oh, it's one of the few – I think it's the only John Grisham movie I've never seen. Um, mm-hmm. And he's in it. And I thought he was skeevy the whole time because he's John Hurd. And he ends up not being skeevy and gets killed. So,
0: Wow, crazy. Anyways,
1: but uh, yeah, <laughs> no. Kevin to try Dunn is a spoiler like seven movies as we listen to this. <laughs> but yeah, Kevin Dunn is uh, just a guy that roof, like. Uh... There's nothing wrong with what he's doing. He is playing exactly the person I expect him to always play. He's yeah. never gonna get my MVP. That's the thing. Never gonna sure. get my MVP. No, this is well I'm within to find his wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't even. I don't think anything's within his wheelhouse. I think it's all like just Kevin Dunn, and I'm like mm-hmm. fine with that. But it's not ever something I want. Yeah so or care oh, about yeah,
0: that ghostbusters 2 scene he was okay but chloe webb was better what like mvp from last last time what Tell he's me. the he's the book guy on ghostbusters 2 he is peter vankman's show he is the book we have guy. to allude to the other half yes 100 percent. 100 percent. i
1: completely okay, so forgot that he was that
0: <laughs> this is tangential 2. to uh the mvps because it's not someone who actually worked on the movie but i found this like archive of interviews by this journalist bobby Wygant. Or Wiggins. She she's like ninety five. She's been working like Press Junket stuff for like sixty years. And there's an archive of all of her interviews on YouTube, including like her talking to Brian De She about is, this movie. Is she
1: just she asks the best questions, right?
0: Yeah, well yeah, she t- she touches on all this stuff about like Will
1: Smith, about but no, no, uh, but like
0: Al Pacino, maybe, there, it's okay, maybe all this stuff. I might
1: be thinking we might be thinking of two different people. There's this maybe. one interviewer that I've been looking for. Because she's she's old, she's she's kind of broke out in the '70s. Because she would sit down with men like stars and ask them like hard questions that like nobody was willing to ask them. It was never she never threw softballs. I, I mean,
0: I didn't dig into like there's definitely material from that era. So Sorry, I'm give me she, what's her she's name?
1: Very friendly, uh, Bobby B O B B
0: I E uh, W Y G A N T. She's she's like a southern yeah Texas Bobby area. yeah
1: okay. And she has... But anyway... Oh, man, she does. She has one interview with Madonna on Body of Evidence. And Breakpoint <laughs> with Gary Cine- Gary Busey.
0: No, no, it's just tons of people, and it's, like, unedited, like, interviews. Like, you get the entire shot of Brian in the interview and the entire shot of her in the interview, like, yeah. after each other. But it was just, like, some fun... Like verifying the IMDb trivia assertions, like oh Will Smith was going to do this movie, it's like was he really? And it's like oh I get to hear it right from Brian De Palma's mouth that yes, that was indeed a thing. So, so she it, it she interviews
1: useful. De Palma, huh? Yeah. What the, oh yeah, here it is, Carlito's Way, and then Raising Kane. There's one, two for that, and then Snake eyes yeah. She has a bunch yeah, with no, Palma. She's
0: she's very personable and like they just has a fun rapport with these people. So they're they're very com- comfortable interviews. Uh, not hard hitting journalism. No, I, this other girl's stuff. not
1: hard hitting journalism either. What does she do? Her stuff is um, like she asks really awkward questions for men specifically. Like puts them in like, why are there like no speaking roles for women in this type of stuff? Like. But, like, okay. in, like, awkward ways type of thing. I don't know. I got to look her up. I, I saw a TikTok. <laughs> Honestly, I saw a TikTok of her, and I forgot to research about her. But I was, like, in my mind, I was, like, okay. I want to look into this person.
0: Whereas, yeah, I just was looking for some, like, uh, Snake Eyes featurette type stuff, and I found this. And there's a whole channel of stuff like this. So Did she talk to anybody to else from Snake Eyes? Uh, I didn't search for it. I, I kind of got all the
1: nuggets I needed. But I'm but... just saying, like, I Nicolas Cage doesn't interview very much anymore.
0: Yeah, but I wasn't sure. This was twenty three years ago.
1: That's what I mean. Like in the in the mid nineties, was he, you know, somebody for stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. Why is this having troubles now? All of a anyways, uh, cool. I will check out this person as well. Did you, did you see any other? Like I see, there's a Scorsese one. With... I
0: just kind of searched through, like looking at an overview of the channel. I didn't watch anymore, but uh, it's it's a resource there. I thought looked cool. So cool.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right. So we're moving to that question question period.
0: Question time. Yeah.
1: So this is like, I think, something that we're going to talk about a lot this season anyways. But um, can you recall maybe like the first experience you had watching Nicolas Cage? Or beside that, the first experience where you said like, whoa, this guy is something different. Like he's something special. Like it's not just like a normal – like." Yeah, where you just kind of, like, you woke up to this idea that, like, isn't it Cage actually a genius?
0: I'm trying to think what it would have been. Because, like, an early one was definitely, like, The Rock on TV. But that's that's not, like, the Stan... Like, Stanley Goodspeed's great and the Beatles thing and, and the big needle and all that stuff. But it might... It, I'm trying to think if it might have been Con Air. Like, but not in, like, the, oh, I see that he's special kind of way. But just, like, that movie's goofy entertaining way of being over the top was kind of appealing at the time yeah do you have a clear one that's like well because at some point i saw vampire's kiss and i was enthralled but i don't remember what put that on my radar exactly it was just kind of once i had seen it i i was like the meme moment from that movie just genuinely stood out in that movie yes. as like the most wide-eyed, insane stare I'd ever seen a character ever do. Yes. So I screen capped it myself and had it as my background, and it's like, oh, this is a
1: meme. And it's like, yeah. oh, is it?
0: I, it's a great bit. I don't know. <laughs> like, gotcha. Okay. So you
1: you came across this. You came across that scene in, innocently without, like, knowing that other people had already latched onto it.
0: Like, this had already become a thing. Yes. It's like, well, it deserves to be a thing.
1: Because yeah. that is a moment. Yeah. Uh, so. Growing up, like, I think my dad likes Nicolas Cage. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, The Rock was a big movie. We watched that as a family mm-hmm. and loved The Rock and, like, and the subsequent films. But Face Off was the first one I was excited to see in theaters. Like, I was old enough to go see Face Off in theaters. And I love okay. Face Off. Like, I think Face Off is great. I have this, like, deep nostalgia for it. Um And I just, like, genuinely just followed his career. Like, every new movie came out, I'd watch it type of thing, and I'd I'd just love watching it. But it didn't really, for me, genuinely click that Nicolas Cage was a genius on the next level until Bad Lieutenant Protocol New Orleans, which is pretty late.
0: Right. We went and saw that in theaters. Yes. And, yeah, like... He definitely has some next-level stuff in that movie. Like, the I, maybe the, the uh, iguanas.
1: Oh, or any of those things. When he's Like, just terrorizing the those elderly yeah. women. When he sees the so breakdancing, when he's hanging out with exhibits. Like, mm-hmm. he's just... Uh, when he's staring at that spoon and, like, really fascinated with the spoon with Eva Mendes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, like... Because I think at that point, because I came into him kind of at his... When he just started to become the big star, Nicolas Cage. And then we'd see mm-hmm. little like flashes of genius uh, in that. Like, I don't mean genius in the way that like adaptation is just a great movie and he's a great actor or like leaving Las Vegas. He's a great actor. I'm saying like the genius in the way that like he does things that nobody else does. Um, we didn't he really
0: hit syllables at strange angles or like yes. gives
1: a line read that no one else
0: would ever. Try. No, like he's the close Kinski
1: yeah. of the modern era, but he's doing it like on a larger scale I don't think and I s- as a
0: person, he's not actually insane. No. <laughs>
1: like, And, yeah. like, I don't see that... We don't really see that a lot in that era of Con Air to Bad Lieutenant because he's kind of making bigger blockbusters. We'd see flashes of it, like, mm-hmm. when he's freaking out uh, with the pharmacist in Matchstick Man. But you uh-huh. don't, like, get to see a whole movie devoted to it. And so Bad Lieutenant's the thing that was, like, maybe we, like, oh, this is next level. And then that what forced me to go back to watch, like... Um, Go back and watch Vampire's Kiss and uh, Wild at Heart and, like, all of these old movies that kind of, like, we don't – people don't talk about as much anymore aside from, like, Nick Cage is pretty crazy in them. And, like, it, it's what made me watch, like, Wicker Man because at that point, Wicker Man was only just a dud movie and hadn't hit – Oh, yeah. Hit, like, it's 6% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah. or
0: whatever. We hadn't It hadn't
1: hit long. memes yet. But then I got to go watch it with that meme man- mindset on of, like, this, like, what's he doing here? independent from everybody else and wicker Man's maybe the perfect movie of like showing you nick cage recognizes what he's doing where nobody else is recognizing because everybody in that movie is playing it straight but nick cage the whole time is like no this is something different like this is i'm not right. no like you. there's
0: quotes from him out there about like you can't like be in a bear costume and punch someone and not know that it's insane yes. like it's yeah like there's there's a wink in in there but without the actual wink I think for me, it's uh, it's probably Vampire's Kiss. Then was the one where like the power of his performance is making this like low budget nothing movie like kind of a miracle. Yes. Like when he's just like jumping onto a desk like from the floor, I was like, wow, he did that! Like it's like a physical <laughs> powerhouse thing. It's just crazy to see. Like most of that movie is powered by his energy. Yes. And it's 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 great. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. So I think that's later
1: in our batch, so... Yeah, Vampire's Kiss, we actually covered a lot because Bad bad Lieutenant, Vampire's Kiss are coming up in this batch. Uh, Yeah, I think
0: we mentioned Adaptation as well as, like, good, like, just that's good acting, you can't deny it. Yes. Kind of stuff. And that's the thing that
1: I think people get, like, because Nick Cage in his later career has moved more into, like... So there's a great quote that I read in a review recently from uh, Willy's Wonderland where it was, like, somebody said, like, uh, Nick Cage is playing the greatest hits of his own career and he's taking requests. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. So he recognizes smart enough to sit down and be like, what are people really like? Where is the zeitgeist around Nick Cage right now? And it's like, it's Mandy, it's mom and dad, it's Willie's wonderland. It's like the silly nonsense that he's doing that he's, he's not getting like right now. People aren't talking about him on that adaptation matchstick men leaving Las Vegas level. Conair level, they're they're talking about like vampires kiss level, and so he's giving us more content in that vein. Yeah, and I think it's pretty genius because it's it is slowly reviving his career. Like he's mm-hmm. had a few at this point now. we're when we're recording this at the beginning of February, mid February, he's already had like a few good months. Like Crudes came out, and despite being in the pandemic, made money type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw
0: like Rotten Tomatoes was actually okay on it too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's good. I liked it. I had a good time watching it. Um, he had that ne- that that surprise Netflix show that like kind of like was a nothing show, but everybody was like, "Nick Cage is the reason to watch this thing." The History of Swear Words, and then like yeah. we put it on our list. He has Willy's Wonderland, and then later this year, in a few months actually, he's going to have that movie, that meta movie where he plays a version of himself, type mm. of thing, which people are buzzing about too. So,
0: right i i don't i don't feel like my like of him is actually like in a coming from a place of irony or anything no like oh, it's not at all. genuinely like in a bad movie it's like he at least can like find some magic in it Correct. like like uh what's that one where he's he's like a bank robber and he's hanging out with uh john lovitz and it's oh, trapped nothing. in paradise yeah, Trap in Paradise is, like, not a good movie, no. but, like, he's finding ways to play this character that, like, still, there's still, like, a reason to ever go back and watch this movie. Like, uh, like there's uh, still a thing there, you know? I'm
1: totally agreeing with you. Like, I, I don't think it's irony because I don't think we're laughing at him. I think we're laughing with him when he does these things. I think he 100% is like, aware. where he knows he's making people laugh, yes. and we're, we're laughing Like, like there's this great scene in a really terrible movie from recent years called Between Worlds, where, mm-hmm. like, it's a really silly movie where this guy's dead wife reincarnates within this daughter of this girl he's dating. So then mm-hmm. he starts having a physical affair with the mom and the daughter. And it's just, like, this silly movie it happens. And it all goes bad. And at the end of the movie, he decides to light himself on fire. But it's, like, invisible yeah, flames. Like,
0: is this the one with the CG fire? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <And> it's invisible <laughs> flames. And it's, like, no, this is, like, a perfect meme if ever if anybody ever watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Nick Cage knew exactly what he was doing. I don't think he was saying like this is not good acting to him. I think what he's doing is that like that shaman what's the what's the phrase that he comes up with? Neo shamanism or whatever. Yeah, neo shamanism.
0: Like new kabuki or like whatever he knows he's doing, exactly
1: yeah. what he's doing. He's in, I think he's in full command all the time. And people are like po- keep pointing at him as, like, "Oh, he's like the definition of garbage right now." And I'm like, "No, that's like Bruce Willis and John Travolta and the garbage they're making because they can't control." Nick Cage is actually like Elevating his, his crap. By or being like in you'll
0: it. almost never see him give no effort. Yes. Like
1: even in a bad
0: project. Like almost there never. will be something. Bangkok yeah. Dangerous. I feel is I've tough. seen it like once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Bangkok Dangerous is the main one. Yeah. But yeah. Which may have honestly been the product product of like a language barrier. Yes. Like it's just like I don't know what the directors are asking me to do, so I don't know. And it kinda but, came out like
1: in an era where he was trying to still be A major star but like he was on the downswing from like zeitgeist right because like right Right. after that he made drive angry which is like i think hilarious funny great movie
0: and you keep up way more with his contemporary stuff than i do so there's like a big hole in my knowledge that we'll hopefully get to examine a bit in this in this batch but yeah no i'm looking forward to it good um but okay uh that's that's it for this week uh if you want to send us a question you can reach us at it okay video podcast on twitter it's an at symbol or email ryan at okavio.ca or nathan at uh next week we're looking at red rock west from 1993 uh it's directed by john Dahl. it's kind of a hidden gem there so maybe check that out super
1: hidden like it's yeah hard to come by so i'll hopefully
0: have a way to come by it (laughs) but we'll see uh until then uh this is nathan
1: and i'm ryan bye bye for now